Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. Well, that's more like it. Welcome to Hockey Central at noon. Peter Klein, Logan Gordon with you after a desperately needed Flames win last night over the Toronto Maple Leafs. We will cover that throughout the hour, get into a little bit more in the NHL with Eric DeHatchuk coming up at 12.30. Plenty of time for your texts as well at 960-960. But let's kick things off with Lou. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering air miles, reward miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. I mean, it just shows when we uh, play hard, play for each other. Um, you know, at the end of the day, a couple specialty team goals, uh, one five one five, and great goaltending. Uh, it was uh, you know, a solid one. Pretty good job summing it up from one of the key contributors in that game <laughs> I'm, last I'm, night. I'm, I'm going to go have some lunch now. Yeah, yeah. All right. So that was great. We'll talk tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, two things just because we're, you know, I think everybody in Flamesland um, is breathing a little easier and feeling a little better, albeit just one game. And that was kind of exactly the tone that came out of last night. First of all, um, you know, I'm not Kelly Kirsch, but you are no longer allowed to take any more time off until the season is over because <laughs> in the week you were gone, <laughs> the whole world almost collapsed. So, you know, not that I'm pinning it on you, but <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> you come back to the show and, you know, the team gets a win. And anyway, but, you know, on a more serious note, that really did sum it up. You know, they played hard. And probably where I would reflect back to quickly, and I, I'd rather talk about going forward, but, Peter, you know how we chatted yesterday about you can look as a sports fan, and, um, you know, I heard it last night listening to a few calls on overtime on my way home. You know, Euler games affect the fan base different, and I really understand that. I really do. But the truth of the matter is we – you know, spoke about yesterday, I saw things in the 7-1 setback that I didn't see in the game that you lost by a goal Friday when it came to pushback, emotion, creating, forecheck. You know, it's just kind of a reminder as someone who's lucky enough to, with experience and being around it and, you know, coming at it from a different place, your ability to think the game past the end result is really important in the sense that I thought that Saturday was way more of a stepping stone for the things that have ailed them than, than Friday. Even though, even though there was a great goaltending performance from David, which obviously played into last night, um, you know, there were some good defensive details. So, I hope I'm getting to the point that your ability to look sometimes at a certain game and almost not forget the result, it's a result-oriented business, but Peter, and, and please chime in the other way. It's, it's always my favorite part of conversing with you and anybody else I get to talk hockey with, is that's the hard part, is it really boils down to me for how you play are you playing the right way for what your team needs to do? 
and the more often that ha- that happens, I think the results follow. No, I agree, and that's why, like, I, I understand because it, it, it goes the other way too, where sometimes the Flames or anyone will will look kind of ugly in picking up a win, and we'll be a little critical of it. And some people will text in, "Oh, it's not how, it's how many." It's like, well, unless you're lifting up a silver trophy at the end of it, I think it's safe to look at the how. And uh, I think mm-hmm. in the, the case of in the case of Saturday, I, I agree with you, like that. If they had played that way that they did on Saturday against the Canucks, then we're, we're having a much different... Well, you guys are. I'm on vacation. Uh, but we're having a much different conversation uh, around this team. Um, so, no, I, I, I would agree. And there, there were some positive things. And I think now they were able to build on that in, in a, a pretty complete performance against the Leafs. For sure, stay out of the penalty box more. But uh, other than that, like this is one of those ones where you, you look to this team to, to build on these things moving forward. True. Absolutely true. And with Jacob Markstrom, and that was the big news of yesterday that came down very shortly. In fact, we were in. I had heard some chatter just before the pregame show started in flame circles that, oh boy, Markstrom might not be available. And of course, we got confirmation about 10 minutes into the pregame show yesterday that that was the case. Um, you know, the best part about Friday was David had a really good start. And, you know, to his credit, he's put in some wonderful work. He was brilliant last night, Peter. He really was. Um, you think about all his key work. And I think one of the most key moments in the game, we're going to get to another one, which was really important. But one of the places I couldn't stop thinking about as that game went on is, you know, the Flames who have surrendered four shorthanded goals already this season give up two, like, A-plus opportunities in a second-period power play to Ilya Mikheyev. And Riddick makes two terrific stops. You go back down, you get set up, and Matthew Kachuk, who, you know, certainly was one of the best Flame performers last night, redirects one in, and it's two to nothing. But David had all the answers all night long, made great saves, made routine saves. As a dear friend of mine talked about with me after the game, who knows a lot about the sport, um, said he looked comfortable. He said he looked comfortable. His rebound control was good. He just, he was in command. And, And here's David when asked about, not a feeling of relief, but, is there anything better than when you put in a lot of great work, which he has, and you're rewarded? Here he is after that game last night. I was just happy. You know, uh, it was my fourth uh, game where I was started, and uh, it was the first win. So it was just uh, just happy feeling, and uh, I just did what I did. And we talk about being able to, to maybe build on this, that, that happy feeling. And to your point, getting rewarded for the hard work. We don't know how long Markstrom's going to be out, but for as long as it is, David Reddick's going to be the guy. You, you need those good feelings to continue for the Flames goalie. You do. Isn't the key word today, Peter, work? Yes. And believing yep. in the work? That, and yep. believing in the process. And again, I've, I've seen all of the, you've seen it, I've seen it. Peter, it's uh, wins and losses. Oh, really? Really? I, 
thanks for thanks with no disrespect for shedding the light on that. Um, because <laughs> yeah, I'm never concerned about winning and losing. Like, doesn't matter to me in life or my approach one iota. Um, but what I really have come to learn, and that's what I get to do on a daily basis, is the process does matter. The work does matter. And the work by the team was good last night. And when the work is good, and as everybody said, was it perfect? No. But you're playing the Toronto Maple Leafs. And even though they were shorthanded, um, you know, the work, playing the right way, being engaged, being physical, winning races, winning battles, it worked. And another massive area, and you do not, I, I repeat, you do not want to give the Toronto Maple Leafs even three power plays a night if you can help it. They, they're going to get three generally because they're so skilled and they have the puck a lot, and, and they put you under duress. But the Flames are shorthanded seven times um, after the game, and I thought it was appropriate, named everyone involved in the penalty kill as the hardest-working Flame because I think they, they earned it in every way, shape, or form, you shut that 37.5% power play, 0 for 7, a lengthy 5-on-3 that you get through in the middle of the second period, and talking about noticing, well, the guy who pulled some pretty good strings last night, that's the head coach, Jeff Ward, well, he noticed. Well, it was huge, you know, uh, probably the turning point in the hockey game, and I mean, uh, the job those guys did, you know, getting that killed off the shot blocks, the positioning, the second efforts, I mean, uh, the saves, it was uh, it, it was a huge, huge moment for us. And, you know, I thought it uh, shifted a lot of momentum in the game. Yeah, that, that was the um, – I used to work at a place that used turning point a lot. That, that was the turning point, I thought, in that game. And even, even like, just sitting on the couch watching the game, I was already resigned to, okay, well, if you can hold them to one, then you're still up two to one, and, and you can kind of build off the back half of it. Like, I had already in my head just accepted, well, they're going to get one. Uh, but that was a, a monumental, I, I thought, moment for this Flames team in that game last night. And – Again, they just battled their tails off to do it. Yes, David was great, but so was Tanev and Giordano and Lindholm and Nordstrom and everybody involved just did whatever it took, blocking shots, good stick position, taking away the slot area, taking away, you know, cross-seams passes, and then... Even though he doesn't score last night, if we can't come to grips with the fact that Austin Matthews is at a different level, then I quit watching. <laughs> he, is, he is terrifying. His size, his speed, the way he protects it, the, the way he uses his body to open himself up, to close himself off, to get the puck back from you, and, Peter, there was one shot in that game, and I had fun with it on the air. I, I said that it might have ended up on Bay Street. I thought it was going right through the end of the rink. So, you know, I watch him a lot on television. 
Um, you know, it's, it's different watching a game when you're as dialed into it, especially when you're at the rink. And, you know, I saw so much in the Toronto Maple Leafs in those two games at Scotiabank Saddledome. You know, they're just the way their best players, we touched on it yesterday, at, at how committed they were. And, and were they at their best last night? No, they weren't. They weren't at their best. And their head coach, Sheldon Keith said they were just a little off. But even that team, when it's a little off, you talk about sitting on your couch. Well, I'm in the boardroom last night, and even with three and a half minutes left, they have another power play. Their net is empty. You're thinking when you watch this team play, and they've done it a lot this year, oh, you hope they don't get one. Because if they ever get one, this thing might get scary in a real hurry. The great thing is, thanks to David Riddick and friends, they never got to one. Yeah. Um, and talking about Austin Matthews, I guess the, the counter to, to him on the flame side is Sean Monahan, And he comes back in the lineup and gets back in the, the goal column with uh, a pretty nice one. Just a nice little chip with the backhand. That had to be huge for him to see the puck go from his stick into that net line. Peter, yesterday on the program, not to keep reflecting, but, you know, I always think there's there's some you're, – you're trying on this show, I think, every day to tell a story. And, and part of the story going into last night, as you well know, you were part of helping me tell the story, was I wondered if Sean might be energized based on being away from it for a couple of games. Yes, that helped physically – but I wondered about how it might have helped mentally because there's no worse feeling than when you can't help when your team, your business, your family needs you the most. It's a, it's a really helpless feeling. It really is. And I think anybody listening, you know, can draw some parallels in their own world to being in those situations. Um, when you're away and you can't, things are going on with your family and, oh, if only I could be there to, to offer support. Well, for Sean, I wondered if getting a bit of a mental break, a refocus, Peter, I saw it in shift one. He had great pace. He had great purpose. He won a ton of face-offs at key times. Um, he was the real driver of what was a really good line with Bennett and Gaudreau, and he was rewarded with a goal and an assist, his fourth multi-point game of the year, his first goal in 13 games. And again, when he shoveled home that power play goal to all but put it away in the third, the theme of today just seemed like the work was going to end up in a good place. And Mm -hmm. Sean's work and investment in that game from shift one, shift one, was excellent he was rewarded and i thought he brought great energy great play great focus and really helped tie it all together when it was evident that he was missing for a couple of games yeah and here he is here he is quickly and and come out of it please when it's done here he is on making a difference Uh, I, I don't believe we have this clip. Um, 
Okay. Yeah, I don't think we have the, the one from Sean Monahan. But just to to continue off of the the point, you look at like he gets rewarded for the with the goal. Um, like you said, like that nice little chip. And a, I thought Matthew Kachuk was the happiest human being on the planet at that point, the way he celebrated. And we've talked before about how that that means something when you see how your teammates are, are reacting to you. But I also like that they were rewarded in the first period. They they win a board battle in the corner that leads to a shot, which leads to a rebound, it leads to a goal, and. It's those sorts of things, Lou, that I, I want to see continue. Like the the theme of the day or the story of the day is work. I think the story for tomorrow is keep the work going. Because if if the Flames go out and play perfectly, there are nights they're going to lose the, to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like the Maple Leafs are just really, really good at the sport of hockey. And that's going to happen. But I, I think to, to kind of look forward to tomorrow now... Keep those things going. If you, it, that that's the frustrating part about this team sometimes. It's not that they get out talented because that's going to happen, but just keep winning those board battles, keep winning those situations, and, and just keep putting in that work. Continue that into the next game and the games beyond. And this fan base and, and the media in this city are going to be absolutely fine with that. Peter, I'm going to ask you this question. So even looking ahead to, to tomorrow, and we'll, you know, have another 20, 25 minutes to break down tomorrow, we know that the Leafs are not going to be satisfied. We know that the Leafs are truly one of the best teams, I believe, in the National Hockey League. So for the Flames, yes. Isn't it again about your ability to ante up, knowing what you're about to face? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's really, that's really always, and that's why the team, and it's a good thing. And you just alluded to it. It's one night. One good night of work once in a while, that doesn't get you to where you want to go. It's the consistency of the work. So that here's the narrative that has to stop, and if it stops, the Calgary Flames are going to play past May the 8th. And that is, if, if there's going to be ups and downs, there's ups and downs, Peter, in every game, in every period, sometimes in a shift. But if the narrative gets away from the big word this year, inconsistency, and turns more into the consistency of the work, you and I are going to be having hockey centrals to do together past the 8th of May. Mm -hmm. No, I, I completely agree. Cause I, I do think that there's a lot of talent on this team and it's just, you, you need to work to get there with them sometimes. And that, that is like, that's, that, that was the frustrating part about last week, and uh, I think the encouraging part about this week is that, like, that's, that is a Leafs team that, if you put them on paper, Toronto is better than Calgary. Like, I, I don't think I'm breaking news here. We talked about Austin Matthews. Like, the high-end skill on that Toronto team is just stupid good. But the Flames were able to work, outwork them in a number of instances, and they come away with a win. I, I just, again, I, I think that's something that this team needs to build on. And to your point, if you do that consistently, the results will come. Peter, the caveat to that is, so if you're the Calgary Flames, when you play a lot of what I would call elite, talented players and teams, is it not more incumbent if you don't possess 
some of that ability that your work and details are good, Mm -hmm. that's it. That is absolutely it. Now, again, you and I, and maybe we should one of these days, because I even touched on our Flames warm-up last night with Patty when we started, was, you know, how should we look at this team? What is this team? You know, how deep is this team? What should our expectations be? Well, I think the best part of this team is six or seven pieces that have an opportunity to grow into something great. Like, in a sense, I think what Brad Treleving is trying to do is he's still trying to build with some of the new while keeping, you know, others to help along the way. That's, that's really what I believe is going on. But whether it's, you know, the maturation of Dubé, the maturation of Yuso Valimaki, Rasmus Anderson, this team, this team, I truly believe, is on the cusp, Peter, I do. But, but they're not in a position yet, because of what you talked about, when you play teams like the Leafs or, you know, you go against McDavid and Dreisaitl, if the work and the process isn't top-notch, you, you probably, at this point, you don't necessarily have the weapons to do some of the things that other teams can do. At this point, that's not right. to say that that's not in the framework of actually, before our own eyes, changing. But they're kind of at a bit of a crossroads, the way I see it. And they need one another. And the sum of the parts, as you talked about, and I completely concur, are better than what they've shown. But they need to truly be a team because of where they're at. And, you know, probably I'll leave you with this one today. I think for all of us in some ways, and certainly the fan base, it's hard for people to stop thinking about this team that finished first in the West. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's um, and a good place to, to end it on. But no, I, I agree. It is tough to see when it gets to that point. Like, okay, build off of that. And it's, well, are they that? And again, we, we can have um, that, that conversation for another day. But I, I do think that's a, a good spot to leave this on, Lou. Um Tomorrow, again, the the whole the theme of the day, keep that work going into tomorrow. We'll, we'll have quite the game to break down when we chat tomorrow, Lou. Thank you for this. Yeah, thank you. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering Air Miles Reward Miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. There is our daily chat with Peter Labardius. The Friday conversation with him ends with Lou's mailbag. That's where you send in a question, sportsnet.ca slash 960, and then tune in Fridays at noon to see if yours is answered. If it is, you will get a $100 gift card to Ruth's Chris. Winners will be selected up until the end of the regular season. Lou's mailbag brought to you by Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Book your table today to enjoy award-winning steak. A world-class dining experience awaits with added efforts to ensure 
ensure your safety and comfort. We will continue the hockey conversation next. Eric DeHatchuk, there is a team in California that's playing a whole lot better than people were expecting. How for real is that? We'll get into that in a little bit more on the Flames talk because he had a good note in his notebook. Eric DeHatchuk, coming up next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Continuing on after a Flames victory last night, 3-0 over the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Calgary getting set for another one with the Leafs coming up tomorrow. As for tonight in the National Hockey League, we have a good one. Want to talk to Eric DeHatchik about this in a couple of moments. Uh, Pittsburgh Penguins taking on Washington tonight. Sportsnet 360 has that one coming up at 5 o'clock in the Canadian division. It is the Canucks and the Oilers tonight. That gets going at 8. You can catch it on Sportsnet West here on our station tonight. It is a Raptors game day as Toronto is taking on Philadelphia. That one gets going at 5.30. Uh, but other notes from around the NHL today. Montreal taking on the Ottawa Senators. That game gets going at 5 o'clock today. There was supposed to be a Dallas-Florida game. That's been postponed. Nashville taking on Detroit. So still uh, a lot to watch as the, the National Hockey League season rolls on here. Coming off of uh, an interesting weekend where we had the Lake Tahoe experience. And now coming off of uh, a Monday where the, the Flames pick up a win over the Leafs. A couple of texts on that. At 960-960, someone saying, did you just compare Matthews to Monaghan? Huh, wow. Uh, no, I, I compared them in that they're centermen playing in Canadian divisions. It was just a way to transition to a Sean Monaghan conversation. I did not say, Sean Monaghan is equal to Austin Matthews, thus we should talk about him. Uh, but thanks for listening. Someone else texting in, a big factor was the work, everyone doing their job, especially the captain playing the way we know he can. A uh, couple other texts, maybe not quite as uh, positive someone texting in not buying what the flames are selling they need to prove to me over the long haul including the playoffs to make me believe the Leafs played down the flames level early big save dave did his best markstrom impersonation in the final two periods and was full marks for his performance that one coming from dirk and this one where did it go all oh, right what makes you think this team can succeed in the playoffs they won the west and lost in round one they've had good goal tending in the playoffs and lost this core can't do it. So uh, people on both sides of the, the Flames conversation after a, a victory, but uh, one that I do think moves them in the right direction. We move on to our conversation with our NHL insider, Eric DeHatchuk. Um, Eric, I just went through the, the schedule for the National Hockey League tonight. It, it still feels special when you get Sidney Crosby against Alex Ovechkin on, on the marquee, doesn't it? Uh, well, I agree. I agree. And uh, it, it, the thing about it is that just because those are two teams that, that have now won, um, so both of them have the, you know, the championship on, on their resume, and, and I think that there's a lot of questions about whether they have the wherewithal to win again, and that especially relates to, to Pittsburgh. So you have the new regime in there in Pittsburgh. They're trying to evaluate what they've got. They basically promised publicly that they're going to take a run at it with this group this year. I personally believe they're going to take a run at it this year and next year, and the reason is that both Malkin and Latang are signed for two more years, and at that point they become UFAs. And so I think that they internally, as they evaluate the, the club, 
I think they feel that this is one of those years where who knows what might happen if you make the playoffs. Anything can happen. And then I think that when everybody exhales at the end of the year, uh, they're going to sit there and, and look and say, you know what, Crosby wants to finish his career here. We're not trading him to Colorado, even though everybody in the rumor mill wants him in Colorado to play with Nathan McKinnon. So let's make a two-year plan and see where it goes. And, and I think if, when, you, when you communicate that plan to your core group, like the Crosbys, then you know, that gives a renewed sense of purpose. It's like, okay, you know, let's see what we can do. And so you know, every time he plays against Ovechkin, you know, that's, that's a potential playoff matchup. And I think that, you know, you're jockeying to see who can psychologically get the upper hand because, because you know, those, uh, some of those series in the past have been historic and they've gone down to the wire. And, and you know, like a, a series that decides, uh, you know, is decided in the, in the seventh game, you know, ultimately if you, if you win that, you're in the, you know, you end up winning the Stanley Cup. So, yes, that is one of the, you know, things that's still fun to watch after all these years. Uh, and with Sidney Crosby, he reaches a pretty important milestone over the weekend, getting into his 1,000th career game. Uh, I thought the tribute was fun with all the players tying their skates yeah. the same way. Uh, and Crosby, who normally has a pretty good poker face out on the ice, was able to, to crack a little bit. But we are starting to find where Crosby fits in with history. As you reach 1,000 games, you start to think about things like legacy and stuff like that. Where do you think, obviously still a long way to go, but what do you think that the place in history for Crosby is? Yeah. Well, so I will answer that. But the first thing that uh, that I want to say about about Crosby getting to a thousand games is is just how how great that news is, based on the the period of time, you know, four or five or six years ago when he was when he was having issues with concussions, and and I know there were people that were advising him to to just quit and walk away from the game. You've made your money, uh, and that you know, and and you've won your you know your one championship, and and what do you have left to prove? And and I remember. It was, you know, one of the people I wrote that was somebody, a colleague that I was working with at the newspaper where I was at at the time, and, and I remember sort of writing kind of the counterpoint of that, which is, you know, who are we to decide? you know, what Sidney Crosby's future should be. You know, and my point was that, you know, he's seeing all the best specialists. He's getting all the best medical advice. At some point, you know, they may tell him you have to walk away and, and it, the risk is too great. He said, but, you know, like no one is going to get better medical advice than Sidney Crosby, a player of his stature. And so, you know, give him time to heal. I always kept going back to, you know, Gary Roberts, how he needed like two years to heal. And then when came back and played like nine more years. So I think the fact that Crosby gets to a thousand games, like that's a milestone that lots of players have reached, um, you know, great players, you know, average players, you know, some, you know, journeyman players have reached a thousand, but for Sidney Crosby with all of the things that he had to deal with health wise to be able to recover and then play at that high level and win championships and get to a thousand games. I think that's why you saw him more animated than, than you usually do, because I think that when all that, you know, by play was going on on the ice, he, he probably had flashbacks to that, those you know darker moments five or six years ago when when it you know looked like it might not happen so i think so that's up to sydney crosby at a thousand games in terms of his overall legacy yeah you're right too difficult like i i don't like doing this exercise and i've had to do it in the past like i was on that committee for the nhl's 100 best players way back in the 90s the hockey news started doing those things and i was i was a columnist there and then we were naming the best 100 players of, of the last century and so i've done that exercise a number of different times and and it, it's just it 
the hardest part is trying to compare players across eras, right? And and so you know, like Bobby Orr, like I was a kid watching Bobby Orr, he was unbelievable. He was he was so much better than all the other players in the game at the time, just in terms of lifting you out of your seat and the things that he did on the ice. But then the start of my career, I covered basically Wayne Gretzky when he came and obliterated all these these scoring records, and then Mario Lemieux came in and he had health issues. But Mario, at his best might have been the most talented player that I've ever seen in, in the course of 40-plus years. So, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a Gretzky slash or guy at the top, you know, a Howe guy at number three, and then, you know, I go in different directions. I know I've had, you know, Beliveau in the conversation, Richard, Messier, you know, uh, you know, as you can throw a couple of goalies in there. I think Crosby has sort of inched his way into that, you know, seven, six, five conversation with what he's done so far in terms of the, the impact that he's had as a scorer, the championships that he's won, the fact that, you know, a, a, a substantial part of his career was, was played at a time when, you know, when, you know, the NHL was sort of kind of, kind of coming out of that dead puck era. And so, so yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's, he is one of the greatest of all time. Um, you know, the NHL, the international successes, um, I, I don't know how you compare him to how or, or or Gretzky though. It's just the game is mm-hmm. is so different. The skill set that required to play at the highest level is is so different just because of the way the nature of the game today. So it's, uh, I I can't give you a definitive answer. I'd love to be able to say you know what he's number eight. Let's let, let's say right. that just for the <laughs> sake of argument, just to get people texting in on the hotline. He's number eight. So let's say that. <laughs> <laughs> the the thing that fascinates me about him is how impactful I think this second act in his career has been because like mm-hmm. he wins the cup in 2009 and then they go a while with like conference semifinals, conference quarterfinals, they make a conference final but get swept and then 15-16 comes around and it's the back-to-back cups and I remember there was a stretch before he wins those back-to-back cups where you're starting to wonder if the Penguins are wasting some of the, these great years from Sidney Crosby and then he wins two cups and it, it just it really solidifies things and I I think it's, we'll look back on this kind of, uh, I said before, but kind of second act on his career as I think really impactful on kind of defining things for him. Yeah, well, no question. And, and as I said, you know, in addition to the fact that, that uh, you know, he has had these successes, he had them after a, a fairly sort of dark moment in, in, in his life with, with the, the injuries and the, the head injuries and the concussions and, and, and the real, you know, the hard decisions uh, that had to be made about whether or not he would be able to, to go forward. And then the rehab, you know, I mean, rehab is one of those things that it's a word that we use, not, not dismissively exactly, but we just sort of throw it off. You know, a guy gets hurt, he disappears from the, the team, he goes off and rehabs, and then he comes back and, you know, eventually gets back to playing. And, and I think that one of the, the like, your network uh, did a really good job um, chronicling uh, uh, Connor McDavid's rehab from that knee injury they suffered in the game against Calgary at the end of that season when, when he crashed in the post uh, with the Giordano thing. And, and I think that that illustrated to anyone that watched it what that really means. Like, it's a, it's a slog. It's a day-in, day-out slog. And you incrementally see a little bit of improvement, 
and it's easy to get discouraged and you have to you know just it's as much a physical thing as it is a mental thing to to get in the right place to just to push forward push forward and and one day start to see the, you know the light again and so that to me i think is uh, is the most remarkable thing that you know that it, it just, just to me it just illustrates his devotion to the game the fact that he could have you know like it was simply a monetary decision he could have walked away and and never had to work a day in his life but it's just you know he is he is one of those hockey savants that is all in on the game and and you know and then when you're that type of person and that motivated you can you know put in the work and the effort to to get yourself back to where you 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 need to be to be a dominant player and then the next step is is actually going out on the ice and executing it you know night after night after night and he's done that pretty remarkable uh, looking elsewhere in the National Hockey League, the LA Kings hanging around the playoff race in that ridiculously top-heavy West Division. Um, how for real are, are we, or how, how for real are the, the LA Kings as they sit currently in a playoff spot in that West? Yeah, well, really good question. So what I would tell you is that uh, I, I, I was talking to somebody about the Kings at the start of the season. And um, so the, the, to me, that division looked like it had three teams that were going to be playoff teams and then five teams competing for one more playoff team. So I actually did the exercise where I sat down and I looked at the rosters of Anaheim, Arizona, San Jose, Los Angeles, and Minnesota, player for player. And, and when you do that, when you do it that way, you know, like LA looks pretty good. Like they don't look like a great team, but they don't look any worse than any of those other four teams because, you know, you had Kopitar coming off of a really good year last year. Lots of people in the analytics community disagree about, you know, where Drew Doughty is at in his career. I still think he's, he's an impactful player. And then, you know, you have Brown and, and Carter, who, you know, two guys who just look like they're going to benefit from a long time off. And, and you know, and Jonathan Quick, uh, you know, one of the most five most competitive goalies in the game, and Cal Peterson coming on, looking like he's going to be a, a player. So, so then the next step is, you know, how quickly are the kids that they're trying to funnel into the lineup going to develop? And I think that that really was the big question mark going into LA. You know, I think you, you know you you kind of had a sense of what you're going to get from their veterans. You're going to get a little bit of production. You're going to get lots of leadership. You know, in, in terms of managing a rebuild, you have to have you have to have players that show the way. And lots of teams that manage a rebuild have to acquire players to show the way because they don't have them in their organization. They've traded them all away. That's the one thing LA didn't do. They kept those five guys, right? Those, those core pieces from the Stanley Cup championship team: Kopitar, Brown, Carter, Dowdy, Quick. They kept those guys. So in a couple at each position showing the way for the next generation of players. So that was really important. And then, you know, you see Velarde coming on. You know, he looks like he's got a little bit of guest laugh in him. Not real fast, but, you know, good hands and good hockey IQ. Um, you know, Jared Anderson Dolan from, from Calgary uh, until he got hurt, looked like he was a player. Um, you know, Austin Strand from Calgary, you know, kind of coming out of nowhere and look, now looks like he could be an NHL defenseman. You know, and, and Mikey Anderson is playing up on the top pair with, uh, with Drew Doughty and not looking out of place. So, you know, these kids look like they're on their way. Now, you know, if you're relying on four or five kids, you know, you're going to get inconsistency. So, I, you know, can they sustain this? I don't know. But I think they're going to be hanging around the playoff race just because, you know, like it's one of those divisions where, you know, you're going to, you know, lots of teams are going to win around the same number that they lose and, and somebody is going to get in. So, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that they, they could get there. I'm not prepared to predict that they will. But I, but I like you know their team as much as I like some of those other teams that are competing for that final playoff spot. 
I, I think it's interesting you bring up kind of keeping that that core around because a lot of times hockey fans, when we start the the rebuild process, it is trade anything that isn't nailed to the ground, mm-hmm. like just get everything out of there, have all kids, and then kind of figure it out. But th- there is an importance in having kind of adults in the room. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and and uh, you know I know that a lot of people were criticizing the Leafs for bringing Joe Thornton in there, and just as someone who has covered him from the start of his career, I said you don't know. You know what he brings, and and, and I, there, there's a percentage of people that don't want to hear about intangibles. That they, they don't want to hear about presence. They don't want to hear about legacy. And and I always find that those are the people that probably didn't play a team sport because they don't really understand how the dynamics of it works. So sometimes, you know, like a, it, it it's just fun to go to your job if Joe Thornton is around. And and that's the message that you're getting. Like if you're watching all of these guys on on Zoom calls, they all say the same thing. It's fun to go to your job now that Joe, Joe's around. He just he has this this way of of lightening it up when it needs to be light and then making it really serious when it needs to be serious. And that's valuable. There's value to that. And it doesn't maybe show up on a spreadsheet. It's hard to quantify. Reality is that, that that happens, right? And and so I, I'm I'm impressed with uh, with any organization that that is prepared to look past, uh, you know, the all the, just the goals and stuff. I mean, all that stuff. I mean, it matters. But but sometimes having leadership, having someone that you know speaks thoughtfully about what it takes to to get there, those are important lessons. Like we all started out. You know, as, as, a, as the young guy, having to learn, and then eventually you become the old guy, and you hope that you can pass on some of those lessons to the you know the people coming behind you. And that's in every field. That's that's in hockey. That's in sports writing. That's in in radio. It, 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 that's how life works. And uh, and I think that's one of the things that the Kings deliberately did. You know, they they sort of assessed where they were at. You know, they potentially could have moved a few of those guys, and they chose not to. And that was a deliberate strategy. Also from the NHL over the weekend, a couple of games played at Lake Tahoe. Um, it looked really pretty, and at the end of the ta- uh, at the end of the weekend, they got both games in. Uh, but the logistical nightmares kind of popped up throughout the weekend. Do you consider this a good weekend for the NHL or a bad weekend for the NHL? So again, I consider it a good weekend, and I, I'm probably in a minority if I'm if I'm looking at uh, social media. But here's what I would say: I, when I get on the NHL. It's for not being creative enough. You know, like sometimes I find the NHL very stodgy, not prepared to think outside the box. Um, and, and I think that, you know, there, there are times when they should. And so here is an example of a time that they did think outside the box. And you're right. To me, the only thing that they did wrong was they, instead of scheduling, they should have scheduled the games in the evening instead of the afternoon. I get why they wanted it to be in the afternoon, because it's, it's a bright sunny, wintry day, and, and the pictures are, are, are fabulous. But I remember, like, I was at the game at uh, Dodger Stadium in, uh, in Los Angeles, and, you know, even the media skate uh, that we had the, the night before, they, they literally waited until the sun went, you know, behind the mountains there uh, and before they let us on the ice, because guess what? The sun is your enemy when you're trying to play outdoors, and especially, you know, in, in, you know when it's not, like, minus 50, like it was in Edmonton in 2003. So... So that, that, that was a little bit of a hope and a prayer, and, and I'm not sure that you should necessarily, you know, have a strategy that's centered around a, a hope and a prayer. But, you know, weather's always going to be a factor in, in an outdoor game. So, you know, you have to put that down as a variable. And I like that they thought outside the box. I thought it was a, a, a great thing. And when they, you know, the, for sure the second 
game uh, went off without a hitch. The only thing around, I think it was the first sort of route in an outdoor game. Like it, it got a little boring because Boston got ahead too far. But, you know, uh, I mean, Pasternak coming out. And, you know, I mean, I've got <laughs> singing to Barbie Girl in the dressing room, that whole 90s thing. Ah, it was fun. And, and you know, it's so often that, um, that the NHL, you know, just sort of kills fun. So I have to say, I'm willing to give them a complete pass on scheduling the games at noon, and I want them to do it again. And whatever logistics they couldn't overcome initially to have a game at Lake Louise, I hope they try it again and see if they can problem-solve their way to having an event there, because I think that would be pretty darn great. Yeah, I was just there a couple weekends ago, and just like just seeing random people skating out on the rink there looked amazing. So uh, any kind of NHL would be uh, something special. I uh, do want to close this out with the conversation about the the Flames, and we are in Calgary after all. Uh, I thought you had an interesting note in the notebook this week about the Flames and kind of the the, the lineup tinkering, and a lot of fans calling it the the lineup blender, mm-hmm. um, and kind of the the difficulties that a coach can have when trying to to spark a team because you want to just okay, well that's not working let's go to this and the difficulties of finding consistency while also trying to spark a team i think that's a an interesting dynamic when it comes to coaching in the nhl yeah yeah and and so and what i would tell you is that i am a i'm a big believer in, in in set it and forget it and i just i just look at you know like boston for example you know bergeron uh, pasternak and marchand they don't tinker with that very often once in a while they'll drop pasternak down to to play with krejci but it but it really doesn't happen and, and i think what you know, I, I, I look at the game at the pace that it's played at right now, and, and it's almost like you, know, you have to, to be a, an NHL player today. You have to have that chess uh, master's mindset of being like five moves ahead of, of everything else that goes on in the ice, because because the ice closes off so so quickly. So it's hard to play the game the way it is played today if if you're not 100% sure of where your line rate is going to be. You you have to almost feel their presence rather than than see it. The minute you start thinking you're a half a beat behind and and a half a beat behind means you're not going to complete a pass or somebody's going to get a stick in the way or it's going to be a deflection. So I I believe philosophically, again, sort of a core uh, value that, that if you can find chemistry stick with it through highs and lows. And once in a while, if you have to tweak for a shift or two, yes, but, but ultimately come back with the lines that work. And so when things were going sour there and, and you just saw all of the, uh, you know, the, the difficulty that, that the guys were having, I thought part of it had to do with the fact that, you know, they're thinking and they're not playing. And, and, and that's, that's just a really challenging, uh, you know, way of, of trying to work your way out of a slump. I'm a big believer when things are going a little bit off the rails, put Go back to the things that worked, you know. Like I like the, that Backlund, Mangiapane, uh, uh, Kachuk line. You know, I, I, I like Lindholm. I, I love him at center, but I really like him on the wing as well with uh, with Monahan and uh, and Gaudreau. And, and you know, I, I like you know the way Bennett and and, and Lucic and Dubé have looked. And you know, there's a part of me that again, I'm not the coach. Somebody else is, but I would love to just see those three lines and a little bit of. You know, minutes here and there from the from the fourth line, but um, put them together, let them play, see where it goes. Just Eric, the way I think. Awesome <laughs> hmm? 
Um, yeah, yeah, I know. Well, I, one thing I thought was fascinating because I'm with you. I, I would like to just kind of set it and forget it, like the video game thing where you just set your lines and then just simulate for a month and see how it works out. Um, not exactly how real life works, but I, I do think that it's interesting. And this is probably confirmation bias on my part, but the Flames kind of stick with their lines throughout the whole game last night and they win. And I understand there's a chicken and egg factor there, but I do think at some point you have to develop some rhythm with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, again, if, if I'm coaching, I, I, I lean in that direction more, more times than, than the other. You know, I'm, I'm just not a big fan of, uh, of, the, of the blender thing. But again, you know, like there's been you know, lots of successful coaches in history in the NHL that, that do lean that way, and it's, it's completely worked for them. So, you know, there, there is no uh, general accepted rule of thumb when it comes right down to that, but I, I, I like the idea um, just because of the, of the speed of today's game, that if you can if you can develop chemistry, if you can get some familiarity with the guys that that you've played with for a while, it just it, it gives you an extra half a second. It gives you an extra half a step to just know and anticipate where someone is going to be before they materialize there. I mean, Gretzky played that way in the in the 80s, but he was really the only one. You almost have to play that way now because there just isn't the the open ice that there once was in the in the National Hockey League. Uh, Eric, awesome as always, sir. Thank you for this, and uh, we'll chat next week. All right, thank you. Thank you. There is our NHL insider, Eric Dehachuk, uh covering a, a wide range of topics today. And we did so on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, now open for limited dine-in service with all safety precautions in place. Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, the best pizza, pasta, steaks, and ribs since 1975 at 6060. Memorial Drive in the Northeast. Uh, I'm sure some of you have seen this on social media already, but uh, I understand this is a hockey show, but sometimes uh, there are grand sports news that kind of trump the day. Uh, Logo, if you get breaking news, please. Breaking news from Sportsnet 960, the fan. From the golf world, a number of reports coming out. Tiger Woods has been involved in a single car accident this morning in California. His agent, uh, through Golf Digest, stating, uh, Tiger Woods in a single car accident this morning in California where he suffered multiple leg injuries. He is currently in surgery, and we thank you for your privacy and support. Uh, A number of stories out there. The vehicle does not look good, but again, uh, Tiger Woods in a single vehicle car accident this morning multiple leg injuries some people reporting fractures um he is in surgery for this right now so a bit of a scary situation for sure and definitely not the news we want to be bringing to you but as soon as we get updates on this situation we will be sure to pass them along to you uh that's going to do it for hockey central at noon i'm peter klein at home logan gordon has been our producer today from the iconic studio powered by iconic electric and controls community it's iconic contact them today at iconicec.ca. uh big show coming up next the calgary flames with an important win over the toronto maple leafs myself will not logan gordon we'll break it all down coming up next